0: Autism Spectrum Disorder has been around for centuries, but the modern terminology of how it is defined was started in 1943 by Dr. Leo Kanner of the John Hopkins Hospital. Since then, the definition of autism has changed many times and been refined into today's current understanding of this mental disorder. One thing that has been constant over this time frame has been the advocacy work of mothers and fathers to better understand a disease that impacts their children's lives, and helping educate the world around them to be more understanding and compassionate. You're listening to Reach MD. I'm Paul Rakuski, your host, and with me today is Eustasia Cutler, autism advocate and mother of Temple Grandin. Welcome, Ms. Cutler.
1: Nice to be here.
0: Well, thank you for joining us. For those in our listening audience, could you let us know a little bit about yourself?
1: Yes, of course. Because one of the things, Paul, you and I talked about was that I was coming at things a little differently from the way many parents have. And I think that's due to my own background in theater and in band singing, actually. So I have a musical background as well as a theater background. And then for many years, I wrote school lessons for the television networks. So there's a lot of the teacher in me, too. But it brings me to looking at autism from a more social point of view than we are today. We're not looking at us, Paul. We're looking at our children, and we're putting them off into a little piece of puzzle. And they're not. They're part of the life, the ongoing scenario of our nonstop life. And we must look at how we are reacting to them. This is essentially what I'm after, today. I want people to take into account.
0: So you have a very unique perspective on autism and its effects on families since it's been a part of your life since the 1950s.
1: A little earlier than that. Uh, I was just figuring out today, you see, Temple was born in 1947, and I took her first to Children's Hospital in Boston in 1949. This was, uh, we knew very little about it. They, they did recognize that Temple was autistic. She was diagnosed as autistic. But you see, it was just before the time of Bettelheim. And uh, this is where culture plays into the picture of autism. Uh, New Englanders are very wary of Freud. And, of course, Bettelheim was Freudian. But uh, New Englanders are Puritans. We don't lie down on couches and tell people our troubles. We stand up and we face them. New Englanders are also very strong on education. So what Children's Hospital recommended was speech lessons, and they told me who to go to. So though there was no such setup as there is today, there was a one-on-one network which was invaluable. Mrs. Reynolds, who taught Temple how to speak, and it took Temple three years, She was nearly five years old before she could talk. She also taught her how to be in a classroom with other children, that she would have to sit in her little chair and wait her turn. That's a very important step for children on the spectrum, to be aware of other people and their needs around them. Uh, This introduced Temple both to speech and to the world around her. And I always feel that Temple's great contribution was she's wonderfully social. She wanted to join us. She wanted to learn to talk. And as we all know, she hasn't stopped talking ever since. She, she liked this setup, Wanted allowed Mrs. Reynolds to work with her to grab her jaw and show her where to put her tongue and the difference between a D and a T. Uh These are subtle differences, and Temple picked them up. It wasn't quick, but it worked. And after Mrs. Reynolds, she passed me on to a Mrs. Huckle, who ran a summer camp for children who were on the spectrum. You see, these were extraordinary women. Uh, it was before women's lib. They would now be doctors and uh, principals of schools and heads of organization, not doing the very simple work they were doing. But what a lucky break uh, because these women not only taught Temple, guided and supported her, but they guided and supported me. I couldn't possibly have known how to move ahead for Temple without their help. And I just wanted to put in a plug here for teachers because we act, for all children, as if teaching could be systemized. It can't. It's individual. It's intuitive. Some children can pick up uh, what they're needing to learn faster than others. Uh, and the, the good teachers are aware of this and know how to help and guide each child individually according to the style of that child.
0: So since you have so much experience in the autism community, what are some of the major changes that you've seen during the past six-plus decades?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. There have been a lot, and many of them are very good. Uh, But what I do see happening is uh, autism has become professionalized, and this is unnerving for parents. It makes them less sure of their own judgment. and they don't uh, uh, the best teachers you see are coaches. They not only coach the child but they coach the mother. Now if you professionalize and say, okay, these children are going into a special class, the parents are thrown off. And the big problem, particularly for young parents is, It's not only a terribly difficult job taking care of a child on the spectrum, exhausting physically, it is the loss of their own identity. If your child doesn't know who you are, who are you? And parents need to be coached on that so they don't lose a sense of their own identity. And that's what these special teachers gave me for which I am eternally grateful. It worked for Temple, and it worked for me.
0: So what are some of the common challenges you've seen through the years?
1: I think identity is the big challenge. I think we're not looking at autism as a social connection. For some reason, the social neurology that you and I have that make it possible for you and I to talk to each other now is incomplete incomplete. Well, there's autism, and one of the reasons I believe so deeply in early teaching is you can perhaps quicken that neurology. You can get it to grow. We don't know this, and I would like to see us explore that challenge both uh, in terms of research and in terms of education. We're not going to fix autism. We keep looking at it as though it was something we were going to fix. I, I don't think so. I think we're going to learn to live with it and learn to help and coach our children to live with it and do it better and better. And that's possible. And I would like us to get to that challenge and work on it.
0: Your daughter Temple has had great success in both her professional life and her advocacy work. As her parent, what key areas do you think made her successful?
1: For one thing, I think character plays into this. Temple is a social being, and she wants to be to join the world, and that has nothing to do with autism. That's Temple's character. And I think that social reaching out that she's always done, yes, she's highly intelligent, and I might say, so are all my children. I have in all four children, and they're all very intelligent, and they all work hard. And as one of them said not long ago, my youngest uh we're project-oriented as a family. And I think that's true. And Temple is part of that family disposition. She wants to put out and can. And this is where, you see, my theater experience played in. Uh, Temple and her younger sister, when she was quite little, they were maybe six and four, they came and saw me play in a performance, and I was playing a mermaid. Well, nobody else's mother was turned into this green, glittering creature. Nothing would do when they came home, but they would put on plays, too. And it was all about costumes and leading characters, and we strung up the sheets across the bedroom. They both loved performing, and to this day, it's part of the way that Temple reaches out to everybody. With that love, with that early attention to performing. And that's character. And I love her for it.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Reach MD. I'm your host, Paul Rikuski, and I'm speaking with Eustasia Cutler. We're talking about autism advocacy. So, Eustasia, as a parent, what insights would you give to a family today just starting their journey into discovery about autism spectrum disorder?
1: That's a difficult question. I think they have to hang on to their own sense of self. What helped me was, yes, I did have this other life in the theatre, and that gave me a sense of identity. And I see many young parents lose theirs, and I would say to them, make sure you have some time during the day for yourself. That's easier said than done, but it's not impossible, and it's not selfish. It will make you a better parent, and more aware of how the two of you join together, who you are and who your child is and who you will help your child to be. That doesn't mean that we cure autism. It means that each child, what I hope for them is, will be fulfilled and fulfilled in the way that they would like to be fulfilled.
0: So what still drives you to speak out and advocate?
1: Because other people helped me. And I go back to that and think, I could not have helped Temple. Neither she nor I would be the people we are today without that support and guidance. And I would like to pass it on to the young families as best I can and encourage them and help with them to grow. Growth is an extraordinary gift. We do that as human beings. And we must remember that a computer cannot grow. It can only be reprogrammed. We have the gift of growth.
0: Yeah, we spoke about this previously, that as you advocate and you're paying it forward, I feel that my generation, we're paying it forward is an important aspect, that you're the trailblazer of the road, and my generation is paving the road, and the people coming behind us, they're going to, put the lines on the road, and they're going to build the rest stops uh, along the highway uh, on this whole journey of autism. So uh, thank you very much for all your advocacy work that you do.
1: Thank you so much. And I like your finish there. I think, I hope that's exactly the way the road will go. Thank you.
0: You're very welcome. Outside of your advocacy work, I also know you have a lot of interest in research in the medical field. Where do you see the future of autism research going?
1: I think it's going to go into social neurology. I think this is where we have not looked. We recognize it in animals. We call it imprinting or trigger mechanisms. We recognize that genes are not the, as one scientist said, are not the implacable little determinists we thought they were. The the way their promoters turn on is dependent on external experience. That being so... Could we look at what those promoters are? I would urge research to go in that direction. And I think it's going to involve cross-discipline. I think that uh, biology and sociology are going to have to look at this and define. We have these names, but we don't know quite what the process is. Let's hunt for that process.
0: So you've had a lot of interaction with medical professionals over the years. What advice from a parent's perspective would you give to a physician who is working with an individual with autism spectrum disorder?
1: A little insight into them. Uh, It's hard for a doctor who's facing a specific medical problem to keep that in mind, but the more doctors can, the more help they will be. Again, I think of the past, and I think of Temple's pediatrician, Dr. Putnam, who always came to the house. He said, I like to see the house. I like to see how people live. He gave of himself and he guided, again, Temple medically and guided me with his warmth of heart and his insight. I would urge that for all doctors, along with their expertise.
0: Well, thank you, Eustasia, for joining me today on this program.
1: Lovely to be with you. Thank you.
0: My thanks again to my guest, Eustasia Cutler, autism advocate and mother of Temple Grandin we've been discussing Autism Spectrum Disorder. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring podcasts of this and other series. I've been your host, Paul Rukuski,
1: and thank you for listening.